Lord. We respond, thanks be to God. Jesus actually talks quite a bit about wealth. Not just wealth like money. Actually, in Old Testament times, it wasn't all about physical paper or coin money. It was actually about property. It was olive oil that you built up and all of these bales of wheat that you could have. Jesus talks a lot about wealth. That means it's important. That means that we have to look at it more critically. What exactly is wealth? What are we supposed to do with our wealth? What are the things that Jesus warns us against in regards to our wealth? These are questions that we should be asking. These are questions that we're going to keep looking at. Now, material possessions back in the first century were so susceptible to decay, as you can imagine. Jesus' listeners would have known this. Literally, thieves could dig through a house because it's made out of not brick and mortar, but mud and clay. Well, what do you do with your position, possessions? Maybe you put them in a strong box. Well, they didn't have you know, the strong boxes that we have today that you have combination codes to them. They're easily breakable if you have a strong enough hammer. What about hiding them somewhere? Well, if you hid your coins or your clothes or something that was one of your possessions, well, it might actually decay and rot maybe in one of those caves or underground where you buried it. And land. Land was something that was obviously a possession, but if you got enough strong men along with you, well, a land could be taken over just as easily. That's what the first century folks were in. Now, we have a different challenge to think of ourselves. We live in houses with locks and security keys. Heck, even my iPad has a security code to it. We live in a different time, and it's our responsibility to take what the scriptures say and see how it applies to our life. So, we all have wealth in some way, shape, or form, right? We all have wealth. Whether it's required by inheritance, luck, or labor, it pre presents us profound spiritual dangers. Now, Jesus never made the claim that a person of wealth cannot have eternal life. But it does mean, and Jesus makes a very important point here, it does mean that people with possessions of considerable wealth should take care, should take care as evidenced by their practices. They should take care as evidenced by their practices. So we have this parable, which of course is never just a parable that sits alone by itself. It's always a parable that's packed around something else. And I love the way that Luke presents this parable. Let me give you a bigger picture. You might have heard it from weeks past, but in weeks future, it's coming. This parable is one of Luke's normal patterns. He presents to us dynamic characters. Dynamic characters? What's that? It's not a static character. It's a dynamic character. The master, you think he's going to do one thing, but yet he says and does another thing, and it draws us into the story. Luke does not just have good and bad, black and white. Luke has character development. In just a short few verses, we get good character development of this master. The characters in the parables of Matthew, Mark, and um, John are rather one-dimensional, just so you know. All right, so the parable of the bad steward is part of the series. 
Luke features several parables in which characters are of relatively high status and they must go to somebody of lower status in order to receive help or a better thought or a perspective on life. You know these stories. Let's go through them. What about the Jewish man who was on the road to Jericho? He wasn't so happy when he found out that a Samaritan was the one that was going to help him. A Samaritan was considered low class. Here was this proper Jewish man on the road, but he was hurt, he was scarred, he was tormented, he had thieves running over. And the good Samaritan, someone of lower class, came and helped him. What about the prodigal son? You remember that story. He finds himself with lavish riches, and then his money is gone. And then he's desperate, and he's hungry enough to join the higher hands, folks of lower class. And then his superior older brother, this is a twofer story, his superior older brother cannot join the party until he reconciles himself with his scoundrel sibling. So we get in our story today, the manager who was once control all of the accounts of his master's debtors must now hope for their hospitality. These parables suggest a world shift. Jesus is encountering us in this world shift. Jesus encounters his characters in this world shift. Something else is happening. Whatever you thought is not. Whatever you thought is now turned upside down. Jesus is changing the world, ladies and gentlemen, and we get a chance to see it in hindsight. So let's go through some of our characters. They're characters maybe you would find more partiality to. So let's look through them. We've got the steward, the one who was put in charge of, hire, of running his master's whole estate. Owning land and hiring somebody to care for it was very first century Palestine, very Roman, it's very medieval ages, it was a very normal thing to do. People owned property, they didn't own it in the city, they lived in the city in some sort of an apartment, and maybe even just by themselves in the end of the household. But then they had a whole house and lots of land that was given to them by the king or by the Roman Empire or um, that they had attained or given to them through family generations. It was in the outskirts, further away, days journey, multiple days. So, you would need to hire a land manager, of course. But, that can get shaped too. How many people know a manager who hasn't managed something very well? When you have a lot of money, you can get a little shady. All right, so then we've got the debtors, the people who maybe live on that land, who are supposed to be producing things, and they give a share of what they owe, but sometimes that turns a little shady. I'll pay you back next week. Oh, just owe me one. Put it on my tab. It's easy to slip into the habit of being a debtor. Rent was often not paid actually in money. We learned about this earlier. It was paid in, in this story, olive oil and wheat. And then we get the master, who also turns out to be a little shady because of verse eight. Instead of being shocked at the shady business, I'm using this word a lot because I thought it was in the most descriptive, by the way. The master is also shady because of being 
Instead of being shocked at the shady business of the steward, there's a character twist. And he actually appreciated the shrewdness of the steward. And it makes us wonder and puzzle why on earth is Jesus telling you this story? Well, this is a packed parable. It's got four lessons, no less than four lessons. There's a lot to learn from this. Jesus did not teach impossible ideals, but he's teaching about transforming initiatives. Remember, he's trying to transform the world, trying to get these different kinds of characters into our head, and they don't do what we think is normal, because Jesus is trying to teach us a lesson. So let's look at a few of them. Maybe we can get verse 8 up on the screen. commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, but the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. <clears throat> children of light, children of this age, just means street smarts. It just means street smarts. If Christians were only as eager to attempt to attain the goodness they are as they are in gaining money, Gaining comfort. If only Christians were as eager to gain faithfulness and looking towards the kingdom as they are greed and money and stature and comfort. Well, that's the parallel that Jesus is trying to make. If only we had as much energy to put towards this one thing. Instead, it seems like we put a lot of our energy towards this other thing. People expend 20 times the amount of time on money, pleasure, hobbies, gardening, sports, as they do church. Alright? Our faith will begin to be real and effective only when we spend as much time and effort as we do on our worldly activities. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 8. Let's look at verse 9. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into their eternal homes. Material possessions should be used to cement friendships. I'll say that again. Material possessions should be used to cement friendships. True wealth would not would consist not in what people have kept. True wealth is actually in what people are able to give away. Possessions themselves are not sins, but they are a great responsibility. And those who use them to help others have worked hard, and they release that responsibility in a wonderful way. There was a YouTube link that came around this past week that made everybody cry. Maybe you've seen it. It's an amazing, amazing story of how somebody used their possessions to cement a relationship. How somebody used their possessions, what little they had, to make a huge impact. A huge impact. And I think we have it to watch right now. All expenses paid for the bag of veggie soup and some painkillers. You saw the impoverishedness of them. They had not much to give, but yet they gave. They had not much to give, but yet they gave. It cemented a relationship. It had 
something bigger, another task, maybe frosting the cake, maybe putting the cake inside the oven. That's a small task, but maybe there's bigger tasks for you. If you are able to be entrusted with the friendship of someone, then to treat that friend with love and honor and respect, then you will be blessed with many friends. But instead, if you are dishonest, you are untrustworthy. Those friends you will not have many of. Those friends you will not have many of. In verse 13, Jesus nails it in. He says, No slave can serve two masters. You've heard this in a hundred different ways. Store up your treasures in heaven. You can't have two masters. You gotta choose whether it's gonna be money or whether it's gonna be God. Jesus talks about it in a lot of different ways in the scripture that might be coming to mind in your moment. You cannot serve God and wealth. Serving God is not a part-time job. You cannot compartmentalize what you do from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock or 10 to 5 on a Sunday morning. You cannot compartmentalize and put that somewhere. Serving God is meant to be a full-time job. So whatever you are, being a lawyer, being a stay-at-home mom, being a pastor, being someone who works with finances, especially important. Whatever it is you do, whether you're a student, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a sound technician, everything you do, you are serving God. And how might you best do that? Now, literally, what do we do? We were talking about our time, but what do we literally do with our with our treasure? Sometimes we can get into some financial luck, can't we? Yeah. Finances are not as easy. I thought it was going to be easy when I grew up, right? You get a paycheck and you spend only what is in your paycheck. No, there's Roth IRAs, there's IRAs. What's the difference between a 401k? And you don't just get the money. Sometimes there's taxes taken out, so I don't get what actual number is. You don't know what I'm talking about. It's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. You gotta put it in stocks so that they can grow. What happens if the money just goes away? So I was at my friend's church in Dallas, Texas, and they had this giant poster that said, Dave Ramsey. You guys know who Dave Ramsey is? Dave Ramsey's going to come and fix all your financial problems. He's a really big Christian financial guru. So Dave Ramsey and this guy named Larry Burkett and a handful of other financial gurus, they're very popular in North American evangelical church circles. And essentially these men offer these debt-laden confused Christian foundational principles of practice of economic self-discipline. Economic self-discipline, that sounds like a lot of work, Jesus. I don't know if I can do that. Economic self-discipline, oh, man, I got a lot more to learn about. But basically, by listening to Ramsey's syndicated radio show, 
one is struck by this mess, this mess, this economic mess that many believers make out of their lives by mishandling their personal finances. I would urge you to say it's not just you and your family that's handling all of these types of struggles. There's a lot of weight. There's a lot of responsibility. Get some help. Get some help. Frequently, the problems that listeners have is being sucked into consumerism. Isn't that the religion of America? We've been sucked into consumerism that constitutes in so many ways what our national religion has become. Now, some people are up to their eyeballs in debt. In debt. We attempt to avoid bankruptcy. We attempt to avoid insanity of all of these things. And Christmas is coming. It's going to get harder. But more positively, these thinkers do something. They offer wealthy Christians strategies. Jesus offers us strategies for maximizing the opportunity to do good with our money. What is important? What is important? So I heard about this, maybe you heard about this. On Skid Row, there were um, about 20 guys that were hired to come spend the entire day or all night at the iPhone, Apple Store, in Old Town. You guys heard about this? It was a brawl that broke out around 9 o'clock in the morning because some guy had paid a whole bunch of people from Skid Row to stand in line for them. To stand in line for an iPhone. And so the brawl actually broke out because one guy was only able to get 10 iPhones. Who on earth needs 10 iPhones? But somebody was only able to buy 10 iPhones, and so the rest of the guys that were standing in line were unable to obtain the wish of the guy who went and hired them. And so a brawl broke out. Some of the homeless people were even stranded in Old Town for the rest of the day until police officers were able to come by and show them to the gold line so they at least could get home. This is crazy. This is crazy that someone would be so financially insecure and not know direction in their life, and this would be the path that they would take. And I'm glad the situation got resolved, but not to many people's discomfort and chagrin. That's an example to me of financial craziness. These are the things that Jesus warns us against. Be responsible with your money. If we worship the living God, how should we use our money? How should we be financially savvy? How should we use our businesses and our talents and our gifts to help the world God loves so much? These are sets of questions that I hope you are more encouraged and to answer and to think about as the week goes on in light of what Jesus says to us in Luke chapter 13. Money is to be used, but cannot be worshipped. We cannot worship both God and money, Jesus says. Either our money will serve our faith, or our faith will serve our money. This does not make money evil. In fact, it provides a perspective from which we should think more faithfully about our money. We should think more faithfully about our money. Amen? Amen.